Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today, we're talking Apple watching cryptocurrency. We got Binance launching their own dollar-backed crypto. And then finally, in the main topic, we're discussing why Bitcoin matters. Yeah, so beautiful, isn't it? Something so simple, but something so hard to explain. Thriller Crypto, starting now. from around the world. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today is September 5th, 2019, and I'm your hostess with the mostest car, Gonzalez. Oh man, what a beautiful day in crypto, huh? Isn't it? Well, let's jump into the news. We got some exciting stuff. Okay, so it looks like Apple is watching cryptocurrency, and this is coming straight from CNN. Now, at a private event in San Francisco this week, Mrs. Jennifer Bailey has hinted that Apple is also keeping a close eye on cryptocurrency on ways to improve its Apple Pay. She said, we're watching cryptocurrency. We think it's interesting. We think it has interesting long-term potential. This is the first time Bailey has acknowledged Apple's interest in cryptocurrency, though it's unclear what the company's intentions might be. We know that Square has added support for trading cryptocurrency to its iOS app, and it's been very popular and very, very (laughs) beneficial to Square, too, as well. But Bailey also noted that the adoption of contactless payments has been slower in the United States than in Europe, but that Apple has seen improvements. She goes on to say, when you go to Europe, they bring you a wireless terminal. You can tap to pay, she said. We see that happening in the U.S., too, but it's still taking some time. She also noted that it's going to be far more likely for businesses like gas stations to adopt these new systems. She also says that Apple must grapple with what she called misperception among some consumers that are paying with your physical card. They think it's more secure than actually paying with your mobile phone. She says it's completely the opposite. And uh, this is really bullish because I'll tell you one thing. Usually I don't speculate in news, especially at the top of the show. It's just it's just not not a good look. But <laughs> but this had me very excited. So I will say that if there's one thing that Apple does, they always create something rush. Right. And so by them announcing that they are looking at cryptocurrency, they didn't say Bitcoin specifically, but they did say cryptocurrency. The fact that they mentioned that makes Google take notice. It makes Amazon take notice. It makes Facebook, who's already taking notice. It makes all these other tech companies take notice. Now, one thing we must remember is that whenever Apple looks at something first, they're probably looking at it from a different point of view, something that no one has seen before. So if they do create something that's cryptocurrency related or Bitcoin related, I can almost guarantee it's going to look really sweet and perform really well. And it's going to have mass user adoption. (laughs) But I'll leave it at that. And I will say, Google, the clock is ticking. It's time for you to make a move. The funny thing is, I know we have some Googlers listening, so I'm just saying. 
So next up, we have Ledger adds ERC-20 support to Ledger Live. Finally. <laughs> so as you know, previously, users on Ledger's hardware wallets and Ledger Live could only store ERC-20 tokens, but were unable to send and receive them. They usually had to do this like through my Ether wallet or MetaMask or some other type of like web client. Um, with this new software update, Ledger Live will now offer direct support for over 1,250 yeah, ERC-20 tokens. And um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. This is the second biggest blockchain in the world, they said when talking about Ethereum. And they hope to have uh, well over the top 100 of the coin market cap. So it's pretty amazing stuff. And I'm really excited to see it. It's it's kind of sad, too, because I really love, uh, you know, MetaMask and I really love using it. And I really love uh, my Ether wallet or my crypto wallet. Um, so it's um, it's going to be interesting to see how all that kind of shakes out. I'm looking forward to playing it with this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. Okay, and probably the biggest shocking news of the day, <laughs> and I mean this in like the nicest way possible, crypto exchange Binance is launching a dollar back stablecoin in the US. We kind of knew that, right? And we kind of know that they're hoping to launch their own kind of exchange, regulated exchange here in the US, I should say. Now, with this new Binance coin, their hopes were to receive a blessing from the New York Department of Financial Services. That's not easy to do, right? There's only one other stable coin that currently has that, and that's Gemini Dollar. But it was announced today on Thursday that the New York Department of Financial Services had approved the new offering, which Binance is launching in partnership with Paxos Trust Company. Now, the Binance stablecoin will be backed by U.S. dollars on a one-to-one -one ratio, according to a press release. And this is all coming from straight from Coindesk, so it has to be the truth. <laughs> At launch, verified Paxos customers will be able to directly purchase Binance USD tokens through the company's wallet using either US dollars or Pax, its own stablecoin. Binance users will likewise be able to trade Binance USD for Bitcoin, Binance Coin, or XRP. And of course, CZ had a comment on this, and he said, we hope to unlock more financial services for the greater blockchain ecosystem through the issuance of Binance USD including more use cases and utility through the power of stable digital assets. Yeah, this was really surprising. I didn't see this coming. Okay, in our last piece of news, we have the Rainforest Foundation, a New York-based nonprofit NGO, is working with Central and South America and hoping to support anti-deforestation efforts with crypto and blockchain tech. That's right, this is coming from September 4th where they're hoping to fight against deforestation and forest fires in Brazil. Now, according to a post from their website, they say, deforestation in the Brazilian Amazon is up 75%, and forest fires in Brazilian Amazon have doubled compared to the past year. As guardians of our rainforest, its animals, and its people, we are working with the Giving Block to form a coalition of crypto sponsors, donors, and media partners who will help to stop this devastation, and they're currently accepting cryptocurrency donations to help out with that. That's right. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash and other cryptocurrencies. And they're using the blockchain to assure transparency. As you probably already know, crypto and charity go hand in hand. And this is not the first time that we've had nonprofits reach out to the crypto space for help. So I'll put a link to the show notes. I highly recommend you, you know, donate something, even if it's like five or two or three dollars. You know, that little difference can go a long way in a couple of years when it's worth $100,000. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, really interesting day in news. And uh, hopefully you guys donate a couple of Satoshis to the Rainforest Foundation. That'd be cool. 
All right. With that, let's get into your interesting video of the day. Thriller podcast. Interesting crypto video of the day. You know, this might be the probably best interesting video of the day we've ever had. <laughs> you know, that's saying a lot. Over 325 episodes. Finally, Car, you finally get one right. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty epic. It's a musical. It's a rap battle. It's inspired by crypto. And uh, it's epic. Take a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we gather online as citizens of the world to judge two experts in a critical debate. In this corner, the creator of centralized banking. Make some noise for Alexander Hamilton. And in this corner, the creator of the Bitcoin, the believer in the blockchain. Give it up for Satoshi Nakamoto. Mr. Hamilton, you may begin. Before we begin, everyone do me a favor and read a little thing I wrote called the Federalist Papers. Yeah. I explain how a nation's unlikely to survive without a strong central government to keep it alive. When I launched the central bank, Jefferson called me ill. Now you have my face to thank on every $10 bill. When America was cash-strapped, I pushed past that. Now some sicko makes crypto and our nation backtracks. Decentralized currency? Yes, I invented it. You sure many governments wish they had prevented it. The national cash is how they keep control. But freedom to the people was my ultimate. Am I a pseudonym? A group of men? It doesn't even matter. I invented Bitcoin because fiat is a disaster. A man from Japan over a damn hologram. I'm the reason open season on crypto began. Does anybody know what this crypto thing means? To me, sounds like the new get broke quick scheme. A bunch of fools from across the land investing in something they don't even understand. Buying Litecoin cash, Bitcoin cash. It's all gonna crash and be gone in a flash. All this unsupported money is an irrational prank. And I'll be laughing all the way to my national bank. <laughs> yeah, dude, super funny. As if banks these days still help people make money. The rich get richer and we follow like we're all sheep. The banks serve Wall Street. Crypto serves all streets. The interest in crypto is on rapid ascent. What's your current interest? Like half a percent? I'm sorry, the bank's gone past its peak. But I want info encrypted, not hacked and leaked. If this crypto system will be our salvation, it needs to be centralized. It needs regulation. If our central database gets how you say hacked, insurance will just make a case to get your money. Money back, cause in fact it's trapped and the money leaves a trail. Central currency is strong, cryptocurrency is frail. Untraceable money, wow, so clever. One typo in your address, now it's gone forever. Crypto is frail, that's the essence of your lesson. Your money leaves a trail, yeah, a trail to a recession. A bunch of rich white guys made this system. Why would they ever change it when it made them rich men? Movie moguls fought hard against the VCR. Horse and buggy manufacturers all hated the car. So why would I take my advice from the banks? I don't need a bailout to survive. Thanks. The system is so broken. We need that crypto token. The system isn't broken. Can we trust crypto token? It's gotta be centralized. Decentralized. Centralized. Decentralized. We need control. Free enterprise. Bring me the facts. Please tap.
justified. Fiat's the way a government controls the populace. Government protects its people. All of this is obvious. They keep the peace, and so they keep control. You want us ruled by crypto miners no one even knows? Oh, it's that strong central government bit again. They protect people, but only their citizens. Crypto has no borders. It's a true global currency and censorship resistance for those who need it urgently. Banks earn trust by assuming liability. You know what key we know the customer explicitly. Will the real Satoshi please stand up? Nope, you'll still be hiding when crypto busts. You don't need to trust the people, you just need to trust the code. Every record's in the network, you just one node. And when you find a flaw, there's a software update. Now try updating cash. Go ahead, I'll wait. Wait, cash works. You immediately pay. Crypto's a far worse medium of exchange. Can't Bitcoin the dentist? Can't Bitcoin my breakfast? Can't even use Bitcoin at Bitcoin conventions. No currency starts with universal adoption. It takes time for places to make it an option. Plus, billions of people don't have bank accounts. No savings, no interest, no checks to bounce. You're saving the world, but what's the price you're paying? The only change you're creating is climate change. Power grids spiking all across the land. Overheated, no one needs it, hope it all gets banned. From the king of paper currency, the hypocrisy. For bills and forms and triplicates, you're killing all the trees. Don't like my power usage? Stop targeting my rights. I own my purchase power, and the market sets the price. It's gonna get real dark if this is crypto's night. They use your currency for crimes. That's your kryptonite. Most crime is done with Benjamins, not the blockchain. There's a reason most dollars carry traces of cocaine. Where's your proof of work? That's pure speculation. Those dark net black markets need more regulation. The world's full of currencies, and this one makes it worse. 180 now. Bitcoin's 180 first. It's not the currency itself. It's the method, man. You can't build things that last without a central plan. Crypto is a balance to the centralized model. Cause things fall apart. The sensor cannot hide. If you end up having problems, I feel bad for you, son. I've got 99 problems, but a bit ain't one. Gone. Hold on. We are not having a duel. Yeah, it's a pretty epic video. I highly recommend you go check it out. Um, yeah, it's pretty epic. The, the video is just on another level. Um, I will say that um, I love seeing this and I love that Reed Hoffman created it or at least paid for it. Um, I think if anything, I think this type of stuff is what's going to really educate the masses. It's truly going to come from culture and uh, cultures something that uh, you can't create it has to be adopted by the masses has to be within the zeitgeist of the world and i think that's where bitcoin's headed at least in our lifetime okay with that let's get into that's right coin talk let's do it jump it's time for coin talk but before we dive into that <laughs> i always say that don't i i got a couple things i want to mention uh so we're still working on that uh, bitcoin audiobook and you know i've decided i've decided i've decided i've decided i'm gonna give it out for free to everybody the only catch and this is the only catch you have to be signed up to our newsletter and there's a lot of you already signed up but i know there's even more <laughs> that aren't signed up. So sign up to our newsletter. I promise I don't spam you. If anything, the only thing I do give you through that newsletter is free stuff. 
I will say we're going to give away an audio book, <laughs> which is not illegal. And uh, we're going to we're going to give that out to people. It's going to be a Bitcoin audio book. It's going to have like over 10 chapters. Um, you'll probably see today's segment into that audio book, which is why Bitcoin matters. Um, so it's going to be awesome. It's going to be something that you're going to be able to take with you and to share it to somebody else um, or to give it to a friend. So that way they can you know, spend six hours listening to something and they'll really understand what Bitcoin is and really understand what they're really getting into. And we're going to try to cover every topic. And uh, I'm still working on it right now. It's, it's actually a mass undertaking. I didn't realize, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's going to be something that's going to be finished hopefully here pretty soon. But if you want access to that, uh, please, please, please sign up to the newsletter. That gets you free access. It also gives you access to our Thriller Crypto subscription where we give away one, uh, one or two episodes a month uh, through our, our crypto subscription that we do. Um, and that's just a way for us to get uh, support because we don't take any handouts from any projects or uh, anything like that. There, We don't have any sponsors. We don't take any advertisements. It just makes podcasts sound sleazy, in my opinion. So that's why we don't do it. But we do ask for you know donations and for people to sign up to our subscription. All you're getting is more Thriller Crypto. It's a win-win for everybody. Okay, we got to play our disclaimer. This is why we play the disclaimer, because you never know. You never know who could be listening. Could be anybody. So, roll the disclaimer. Remember, Thriller Podcast does not give financial advice. He cannot tell the future, even if he thinks he can. He is just some dude trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time. All right, so it's time for Coin Talk. We have a coin market cap of two hundred sixty-seven billion dollars. Bitcoin dominance at seventy point nine percent. Got so many maxis out there. Proud of that. <laughs> we have we have Bitcoin price at ten thousand five hundred seventy-five dollars. We have Ethereum price at $174. But ultimately, I'm looking at Bitcoin, baby. And the, reason, and the reason I'm looking at this is because what did I say last week? What did I say? What what did Koss say last week? Oh, yeah, he was talking a lot about Bitcoin and how people were scared and how people were wondering, $1,000 drops, this is so scary. What are we going to do? Oh, no. Oh, no. What are we going to do? <laughs> and what did I say? I said, we'll be back, baby. We'll be back. One more time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Arturo, Arturo, turn that off, <laughs> turn that off, <laughs> turn that off. We can't get them riled up just yet. We can't get them riled up, Arturo. We can't, we can't do it just yet. That's our intern, Arturo. He's he's, he's crazy about that Daft Punk song. I tell you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, seriously, my intern. Just yet. Hopefully one day. Uh, so what I'm saying is, Bitcoin. We're, I'm watching. I'm telling you. I'll tell you what I'm doing. How about that? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I do not have a dime in Bitcoin, and I'm a multimillionaire. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Ramsey, where are you getting these from? Arturo, turn them down. Turn them down. Yeah. Th- th- you know what? You know what? Bitcoin right now is looking pretty sweet. I'm going to tell you why. We just did an episode yesterday on why to accumulate Bitcoin in 2019. Um, I'm going to say it's looking pretty bullish in 2020, but you already knew that. So why you listen to the show, right? You, you know things 
that most people don't know, right? Just because there's so much talk about Bitcoin all the time. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz on Bitcoin. (laughs) I'm trying to be serious here, Arturo. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, seriously. Now, what I'm seeing here, a lot of people are hoping that we're going to get to this, you know, magical (laughs) $6,800 level. People... People want this to happen. They see this descending triangle for Bitcoin. They're like, ah, we're going to make it happen. But what does Bitcoin usually do when that happens? It says, F off. I'm doing the other way. (laughs) Right. And this is how people get killed. This is how people get wrecked. Right. And so what I'm looking at right now, for me, I'm just accumulating as much Bitcoin right now in this kind of um, accumulation zone. And that's what we're in, ladies and gentlemen, this accumulation zone is real and it's happening right and you know what else is happening here tomorrow back to warehouse it's opening up it's, it's happening so there's so much buzz and dave's right there's so much buzz around bitcoin right now because there's so much happening in the space and we're only going to be in this accumulation zone for a little bit of a time and me personally what i'm doing personally is accumulating bitcoin while i still can um ethereum at 174 dollars to me i like me some ethereum I don't care. I don't care what people say out there. I don't care. I know. I know. I've seen Ethereum. <laughs> I've seen you. I've been watching you, Ethereum. I know. It's 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 going to take some time, right? But when they do get that killer mainstream app, right? Make no mistake. Ethereum will rise again. It'll rise out of the ashes. <laughs> Um, XRP, I have no hope for that. 25 cents. It's going down. No, you know what frustrates me about XRP is you literally have the founders of XRP and Ripple just dumping, man. I think it was uh, Chico Crypto the other day. He did a fantastic video. All of y'all should go check it out. He did a fantastic video. Uh, he got a few facts wrong in the, in the, in the first part of that video, but uh, it's still a great video. <laughs> still a great video. But he did a fantastic video on why XRP um, is just continuously dumping and the reason it's dumping is because you have a lot of founders with billions with billions amounts of xrp and um (laughs) it's no secret you know there's over 42 billion xrp in circulation right now um they have a lot (laughs) to dump and uh i don't know i don't know if it's going to be in that security kind of loophole that it has been for some time a lot of people i know myself I've kind of thrown it in there, but I think at this point, even if it's not a security, I think I think it's going to have to be used by some kind of, um, you know, some kind of proprietary like dinosaur tech that implements it. Uh, and then at this point, what are you investing in? Right. Are, are you supporting an independent project? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, something that uh, needs help like Ripple. I don't think so. I think you're better off just kind of waiting on the sidelines for seeing for for for, for looking to what's ha- going to happen over time. Uh, XRP is. Um, it, it, yeah, it, I mean, we've talked a lot about it over the years and at this point, kind of done talking about it. But people still ask about it. We want to know my opinion on it. And I always tell them, like, I wish I had better news. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I wish I had better news. I'm sorry. Actually, it's not my fault. It's Chris Larson's fault. He should be apologizing. He's dumping on y'all. Okay. Bitcoin Bitcoin Cash, 292. What am I thinking for Bitcoin Cash? You know, I really like, I forgot who told me the other day. Uh, I forgot who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody on Twitter. And they were talking about Bitcoin Cash. 
and how it's this um I wouldn't say rebel. I think they, I think they use a different word than rebel, but it's this kind of like um stepchild <laughs> of Bitcoin, uh stepbrother. It's like it's not wanted. No everybody hates it. Uh, it does its own thing. Uh people are mad at it. But it does those in all the right ways, <laughs> if you think about it. Like Bitcoin Cash is so memeable, right? At this point, it's not Bcash; it's Bitcoin Cash. Sorry, Roger, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like people actually hate this coin with uh, with every bone in their body. Uh, there, there's toxic maximalists out there that hate Bitcoin Cash, right? I see it as a shining beacon of light <laughs> in the crypto space. The reason for that is it's proof. You know, a lot of people like like to say, oh, Bitcoin's so centralized because of this or because of that company or because of these people are in charge or because of the core. You know, people love to say these things. But whenever they say these things, I say, well, look at Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> like it literally broke off and it's doing its own thing now. People hate it. But uh, it's one of those kind of little truth lights that points out to the rest of the world that, hey, you can fork Bitcoin and you can be somewhat successful. People don't want to hear that because to them, they think Bitcoin Cash is not successful. But I would say it's worth $292. And you look at all those other Bitcoin forks and they're absolute trash, right? They're not worth anything. They've gone away of the dinosaurs. So in that sense, Bitcoin Cash is successful. And in that sense, it shows how decentralized Bitcoin and this whole market really is. And then to prove it a step even further, you have something like Bitcoin SV currently at $130, which in my personal opinion, I think is a complete scam, right? At least in my opinion, you can believe whatever you want. Everybody has your own opinion. Some people are a little louder than others. <laughs> but I will say, though, that's another kind of truth out there, a light shining <laughs> in this darkness of the cryptocurrency market saying like, I don't care if you hate Bitcoin Cash. I'm going to fork anyway, and I'm going to go do whatever the hell I want. And that's Bitcoin SV. And so this just proves how decentralized Bitcoin really is. This just proves how amazing this crypto market really is. People will look at Bitcoin Cash and people will look at Bitcoin SV and just utter hate for them, right? And we'll just say the most meanest things to the people behind them, those projects. To me, I look at it like, gosh, you're successful. You made it. You actually made a price out of it, right? On the back of Bitcoin back, right? On the back of Bitcoin's back, right? And um, of course, we know how like Bitcoin Cash in the early days liked to trick people. And then some people still think they are. I don't know. I haven't seen anything lately, but I don't really look at that anyway. <laughs> but I will say, though, this all proves how decentralized Bitcoin really is. And it makes Bitcoin look better, in all honesty. Does it give, you know, some money to people that probably necessarily don't deserve it? Yeah, I guess. But it shows how decentralized this stuff really is. Now, governance, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. We're not going there, at least for Bitcoin, right? We're not going there. But I will say, though, when people will try to stress, oh, Bitcoin's this, Bitcoin's that. And there's so many, so many kind of situations these days I found. You know what's different between this bull market and the last bull market we had? Well, in 2017, everybody was kind of crowding around me 
wanting to know, you know, what Bitcoin was, you know, wanting to know like how to invest in it, stuff like that. Uh, and then we had this little run up to 14K and then I got calls out of the blue. People were, were calling me and saying, oh, hey, you didn't tell me Bitcoin was coming back up. I was like, I was supposed to you know, I have a podcast. You could hit subscribe. You could listen. Uh, am I supposed to call you every week and tell you how Bitcoin's doing? What's going on? No, uh, I'm not. But it was funny that they were expecting that. I thought it was funny. Anyways, what I'm trying to get at is when that happened, people were calling out of the blue, people you haven't heard of, whatever. Now I've noticed when Bitcoin's at this kind of 10K range, now I'm getting people that I would call no coiners, people that already know about Bitcoin, but still think it's utter doo-doo, right? They want nothing to do with it. They don't think it's real money. They don't see a use case for it. They don't even think it has potential to be a store of value whatsoever. And to them, I've been kind of, uh, how would you say, I, I usually I'll stay quiet, not say anything. But these days I've been kind of like talking back. <laughs> I've been saying, well, let me tell you about 1971 <laughs> or, you know what? Let me tell you about Bretton Woods, right? <laughs> let me tell you how money really works. And when I go into this kind of this talk and I explain it to them, their face just drops. Disbelief comes over them. They can't believe it. To them, they have never heard this before. To them, I've had one person since having these conversations that literally thinks, our U.S. dollars are backed by gold. They thought that before I told them what it was really backed by. And then they actually didn't believe me, which is great. Don't trust. Verify. And they went to Google it. And then they were stunned in disbelief. And I said, yeah, go ahead and Wikipedia it too while you're at it. <laughs> so I've noticed that um, when you have this pushback, it's not so much that they're just not uh, accustomed to Bitcoin. They are accustomed to it at this point. It's been around for 10 years. So they're accustomed to it. It's just they're tired of the nonsense. They're tired of hearing people talk about it. They're tired about missing the boat, what I really think it comes down to. They don't like the fact that it's $10,000 and they missed the boat on it. So what do you do? You hate on it. You, you become a no-coiner. Um, <laughs> you, say, you say you don't own any Bitcoin, but you're a multimillionaire, right? Um, and that's what people do. So to them, I, I, feel, I feel like I can only do so much. Right. You can only do so much. You can only lead a horse to water so many times before either that horse drowns or he moves on to greener pastures. Who knows? We got like coin at sixty five dollars. It's probably the lowest I've seen it this year, I think. Well, no, technically. No, no. It's been lower than that this year. What am I talking about? It's been a long year. Uh, <laughs> um, that is something that I am looking at starting to reinvest in again is Litecoin. I know I'm going to get shots and get emails from this, but it's true. Um, when I look at, I mean, there's not a lot to pick from here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> when, you look, when you look at this top 10, right, even the top 20, there's really not a lot of crypto to choose from when it comes to, you know, either the CFTC or the SEC actually um, allowing it. Um, that's what I'm kind of going off of these days. I'm looking to see what they're going to allow and what they're, what they're likely going to let people invest in. And that's going to be Bitcoin. That's going to be Ethereum. And I'm hoping... Litecoin, right? I'm hoping Litecoin is going to be one of them. And if so, $65 Litecoin looks pretty good right now, especially there's a lot of Litecoin bulls out there. Uh, <laughs> they're expecting Litecoin to get up to $1,000 here in this next uh, big run. Do I think that's going to happen? Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows where this stuff is going? 
But uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and start picking up some more Litecoin again. Yeah, I think that's a good investment. Um, I think that's all I got. I think that's all I got for Coin Talk. Not a really a lot going on. I've got some Ethereum Classic still pumping from yesterday, currently at $6.99. I got NEO making a comeback at $9.25. Now that's a crypto that's kind of gone nowhere for two years and all of a sudden new bull market starts up and then all of a sudden the price starts going up again. Um, other than that, everything else is looking pretty stagnant. Uh, oh, look at Algorand. <laughs> Finally up 13%. I guess uh, a lot of people made money on the drop. Um, I think that's kind of it. Got nothing else here. Got nothing else. Today in the main topic, we are talking why Bitcoin matters. And this is probably the hardest thing to explain to people. Um, but it's probably the most important. Uh, I would say the most important topic. Uh, it's, this is, And I'm going to tell you right now. I probably won't get this main topic right just because I could have taken it so many different ways, but I decided to take it this way just because I feel like this gives the average person who hasn't heard about Bitcoin to truly understand why it should matter and why it does matter and why you should pay attention to it. Um, So that was my thinking behind creating this main topic. And that was something I was hoping to kind of uh, accomplish when creating it. Okay, main topic starting now. Chance. Last chance. For love? Yes. 
not have a man She dilapidates my soul She burst my heart with her laser eyes I'm cut in half when she's not around Be my girlfriend, be my best friend Be my one night fling Don't leave my side, don't make me cry Just be my Bitcoin matters. Bitcoin is the next stage in the evolution of money. Just as much of the world's information has become digital in recent decades, money has too. Bitcoin is to national currencies as email is to traditionally typed and mailed letter. And Bitcoin fits the definition of money. Being a store of value, a unit of account, and a means of exchange. And the one thing that makes Bitcoin unique and interesting in relation to traditional currencies is that, again, like gold, Bitcoin is inherently deflationary. Its limited supply means that when demand increases, its value and price will rise. Now, this is quite different than the situation with fiat and national currencies around the world. Where the supply can be increased by fiat or government decree, thus decreasing the value of each unit of that currency. This dynamic is what led economist and author Safadine Amus to describe Bitcoin as the hardest money ever invented. He said, Bitcoin is the hardest money ever invented. Growth in its value cannot possibly increase its supply. It can only make the network more secure and immune to attack. 
I think, in my opinion, the argument that I make is that the most important factor that determines whether something can be used as money today or in the last couple of thousand years is the fact that it is hard to produce. If something is easy to produce, people use it as money, others will produce more of it, and then the price of it will come crashing down, and then it becomes a, a useless store of value. If it's hard to produce, people use it as money, they store their value in it, the price goes up, it's hard for others to produce more of it and then bring the price down. So this is why if we look historically, we find that the best forms of money were always the hardest to make. In places where seashells were rare to find, seashells, rare seashells were used as money. In places where um, cattle, uh, you know, initially was used as money because it's hard to make. If we um, look at limestones or all sorts of things that in any particular location were used as money, there was always a way or a physical or a political mechanism of restraining the supply growth. That's really the key point. And whenever we find an example of several forms of money interacting, usually what ends up happening is, or almost always what ends up happening is, what survives as money is whatever is hardest to produce. Because if you have several forms of money interacting with one another, then um, people who store their money in the money that is easy will lose all of their wealth over time because the money continues to get to produce, produce more and more of it, and then the supply of it increases, and so the supply and so the value drops. So, historically, we find that gold became money for this very important reason, which is that the, the supply growth of gold is the lowest of all the metals because, number one, it's very rare in earth, but even more importantly, gold does not ruin. And because it doesn't ruin, that means that the current supply that we have around the world has been stockpiled over thousands of years. And so, even if production were to increase next year, it will only be a small little fractional addition to all the thousands of years of stockpiles that we've piled up. In other words, the potential for the supply of gold to grow as a response to increased demand for gold is the lowest of all other metals. Therefore, it's a hard money. Therefore, gold was the hardest money that humanity had ever had because the supply grows every year at around between 1% and 2%. That's it. You know, no matter what happens to the gold price, the mining output of gold is always around 1% or 2% of stockpiles. And that's what I think makes gold um, money over many, many years, because nobody could ever guarantee such a low supply growth. Now, if we move and look at government monies, we find the same story. Um, currencies whose governments print a lot of them, whose supply increases a lot, they lose their value quickly, and then um, people move towards the harder currencies, whose supply increases less and less. So, uh, the main currencies of the world, like the dollar and the euro and the Swiss franc and the most commonly used around the world, you find that the annual supply growth of these currencies is around 3% per year, 5 7%, something like that. Whereas, you know, the currencies that are always witnessing uh, uh, crises and inflation, you find that the supply growth there is 10, 20, 30, 50, maybe even uh, much more. And so, we have this dynamic over time always, and it's it's... It's partly due to human psychology that people can recognize that you know, gold is a better store of value than uh, copper. But it's also not just human psychology, it's also natural market selection. It's just people who choose the better money end up with more wealth in the long run. People who choose the worth, worse money end up with less wealth in the long run. Enter Bitcoin. Why is Bitcoin important here? Because Bitcoin has, in the next few years, in about four or five years, Bitcoin will have the lowest supply growth of anything that has ever been used as money. 
and it will be reliably lower. Right now, the supply growth of Bitcoin is around 4% per year, which is a little bit more than double of the supply growth rate of uh, gold. But in about four or five years, it'll drop below that, and then the supply will continue to draw, grow at, an, at a lower rate until it stops completely. Why I think this is very important is because this is the reason that Bitcoin won't go away. There are a lot of good reasons, I'm sure many of you have heard, for why Bitcoin is bad, Bitcoin is evil, it consumes a lot of electricity, it's bad for the children, and it's bad for everything. I'm sure you've read the newspapers and you know all the stories. And yet, it refuses to go away. Why? In my opinion, because it's very good money. It's very hard money. It's harder money than all the other kinds of monies. And people are just not going to give it up. People might pretend that they will give it up, but people understand that the hardness of it makes it more valuable to hold than currencies that increase every year by 10% in their supply. So if you extrapolate Bitcoin's supply 50 years from now, Bitcoin's supply will grow at about only another extra 20% over the current supply of Bitcoins. Whereas if you extrapolated the euro or the dollar or the yen or any of these currencies over the next 50 years, just by extrapolating what happened over the last 20 or 50 years or whatever, you're going to get several multiples. You know, you're going to get 500%, 600%, 1,000% multiple of the current supply. So thinking of it in the long run, this is an enormously important uh, uh, factor and I think more and more people are going to wake up to it over time and you know the, the 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 significance of this is that Bitcoin in my opinion is is not really optional you know you can't just say I don't like Bitcoin and so I'm just gonna keep using my money there are a couple of stories that I include in my book about um, societies and what happened to them when a harder form of money entered them so for instance West Africa they did not have manufacturing of glass beads very common. And so glass beads were used as money because they were very hard to make. But then when Western Europeans started traveling down to um, West Africa and saw that these glass beads were used as money, they would go back to Europe, fill up an entire boat with these glass beads, and then transport it down to West Africa and use it to buy things in West Africa. Eventually those beads came to be known as the slave beads because it was a way for Europeans to just keep buying everything that the Africans had with them while the value of the money that the Africans had collapsed. In other words, you know, the Africans couldn't have just said, you know, we don't believe in gold as money and we don't like gold. We prefer glass beads because we've always had glass beads. And because if your money is easy, the people who use harder money, the people who use gold, will find it trivial to make more of your glass beads and then to come and bring them to Africa and use them. And this, I think, is part of the significance of why Bitcoin matters, the hardness of the money. And the fact is that it is also um, the first strictly scarce liquid asset that we have ever had as human beings. So people talk about scarcity, uh, but I think there's a little bit of a misunderstood element of it. People think in terms of you know, the quantity of physical uh, metals and resources on Earth is... Um, is limited and so everything is scarce. I don't think that's entirely accurate because it's immaterial what the, num what the amount of these metals is in, on earth. The quantity of iron or copper or gold or oil or anything that we consume as a society is not limited by how much we have on earth. It's limited by how much time we dedicate to it as opposed to the other needs. In other words, if the demand for copper increases drastically for whatever reason tomorrow, it won't be trivial for us to triple copper production next year and then to keep tripling it for a very long time. 
it'll be very costly in terms of other goods and services, but it won't be impossible. In other words, the limit on how much copper we have is not in the copper itself, it's in our time. So this I think is true of every resource and I think, and I, and I, and I quote the economist Julian Simon who's sort of an Austrian but he's American um, and he, he says you know the only real resource, the only scarce resource is human time because that's the resource that can be used to make more of anything, nothing else is scarce. Well now Julian Simon is not with us but now we have one more thing that is also scarce like human time which we cannot make more of no matter what and that is Bitcoin. Bitcoin at its most fundamental level is a breakthrough in computer science. One that builds on 20 years of research into cryptographic currency and 40 years of research in cryptography by thousands of researchers around the world. Bitcoin is the first practical solution to a long-standing problem in computer science called the Byzantine General's Problem. More generally, the Byzantine General's Problem poses the question of how to establish trust between otherwise unrelated parties over an untrusted network like the internet. The practical consequence of solving this problem is that Bitcoin gives us, for the first time, a way for one internet user to transfer a unique piece of digital property to another internet user, such that the transfer is guaranteed to be safe and secure, and everyone knows that the transfer is taking place, and nobody can challenge the legitimacy of the transfer. It truly is a remarkable achievement in computer science, and some would even call it one of the best inventions ever created. You know, what, what I've come to see is that almost every person has a slightly different definition for what Bitcoin is. And I think that that's contributed to making it very difficult to adopt easily. And so, what do I mean by that? Um, so I thought, okay, let's get down to the very essence of this. You know, yes, I understand digital payments, uh, store of value, I'm reading all this stuff. But what Bitcoin really is, is that white paper. And you go back and you read this thing, and I don't understand even half of it, but what you realize is that this is a great invention. It's not a coin. It's a system, right? It's not, you know, a blockchain and it's an, it's, it's, um, you know, and maybe it's an invention akin to, you know, the motor engine or the invention of electricity. Uh, it's something, uh, you know, potentially a new organizing principle for, for humanity. And I, part of the problem was that people, when they start really digging the Bitcoin, they, they end up saying these kinds of things, which, you know, really puts everyone off because you're thinking, well, this is a, you know, madman and changing the world, all of this stuff. But, you know, so as a macro guy, I come at it, macro investor, I'm thinking, well, what's the value of it? What's it worth? 
The difficulty I always had was trying to put a value on it. I, I need to know where, I, what is, what I think it's worth today, and what I think it'll be worth in three, four, five years, and have a, a proper, uh, you, you know, proper framework. Mm -hmm. And I found that very difficult, you know, in in fourteen, uh, even you know, listening to some of our uh, contemporaries talk about it. Um, I just didn't, I didn't quite get it. It's because Bitcoin is a lot of things. So what it is, is it's an invention. Um, and I think it should be referred to as an invention rather than all the other things. Um, it's a, you know, what it really is, is it's a truth machine. It's a way, in a, in a way, to eradicate all fraud or, you know, lying by human beings. I mean, the whole you know, bigger concept of certainty, of confirmation, of validity, of security. That's what you're buying. A system that, you know, now is 10 years old, has a tremendous track record. Um, and I'm thinking, well, what's that worth? What is a security platform uh, like that with that track record? What is that? What's the value of that? And I think back in the early days, you know, it was very hard to get a sense. Uh, you know, you have something that has a $3 billion market cap. You know, who cares, uh, from my perspective? You know, uh, you know, it would have been great to have bought it at $10 or $50, but I think that really was the realm of the VC. You know, I, I, never, I never would have had that, that kind of vision, you know, the Tim Draper uh, early vision. Um, it was just, I remember going down to Barry's office, uh, Silbert, in 2013-14, and he says, oh, Dan, you know, we have this product and we're trading, you know, like $2 million a day. And I thought, you know, $2 million a day, I, I mean, that's not, you know, that's not anything. I, it's not a store of value. I, it's, not, it's not anything. Um, so that's just from my perspective. And, and, and again, um, you know, just given where I was coming from, it would have been hard to really grasp, you know, to, to be all in. Um, you know, white paper, it just all was completely different, a new language. And also you had the, the, the fraud uh, component and uh, Mt. Gox and all of this, and really in the first five years. Yeah. Um, so that kept away, I would say, traditional macro people, but also just people in general. I think that, that kept people away from it and said, oh, you know, I don't have to bother with it. But for me, it was, I don't really understand how to value it. So here I am, I'm going back in uh, uh, the beginning part of this year, and I'm thinking, okay, it's gone down 85, 90%. I know it's real, how do I, how do I value it? What's the, what are, you know, so what's this security truth machine worth, right? So security truth machine. Like that's that. what it is. Yeah. I think it's a security truth machine. And the Bitcoin really is just the reward that the miners get for guaranteeing the security of the framework, of the network. That's what it is. Now, if you think about what would, a, what would it cost for a company to build that? If, if, someone, if that belonged to one person, it's, it's hundreds of billions of dollars. Think about all the man hours. Think about all the people who volunteered their time. It's huge. Yeah, over, over these years. Like, what would it cost to build that? It's truly a massive endeavor, something that can touch every single human being on the planet. Uh, all they need is a phone. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of an incredible, uh, you, know, you know, could a company even develop that?
you know, or it maybe it, it, and maybe Satoshi realized it can only be developed slowly over time in a decentralized way because the current, you know, uh, the, the, the structure of the way a corporation works could never work fast enough. This thing is going 24-7. Not just the, the trading of it, but the, the maintaining of the system and the, the, all the mining that's going on, it's constant. Part of the problem, I think, in the early days is that it's hard to really believe as an investor that someone invented something unique and gave it to the world for free. And so it was valued at zero in the beginning. If it had been within a normal uh, company structure, it would have grown to some degree and you would have had an IPO and maybe, you know, maybe it would have been worth more than uh, WeWork, which is 50 billion or, you know, I don't even know how you compare it. But I I'm just saying that I think it took a while to adopt because it, it, it didn't make sense that if, if you had done uh, this early digging and you had realized the nature of the invention early, you know, to think that this could be worth you know, trillions of dollars, you know, it was just, it was, it was too far, I think, too far uh, a stretch. Yeah. Not for the VC people, maybe, not for the private equity people, not for the technologists, I think, who got in earlier, and then maybe not for the smart uh, macro guys who we've mentioned who are actually also in. You can get to numbers very reasonably that are, you know, the Winklevoss number is a, a million uh, on uh, Bitcoin and Draper is 250,000. With five, within five to eight years, there's, you know, you can start to see it because you say, okay, well, Amazon, that's worth a trillion dollars. It sells stuff on the internet. But is that as valuable as a new invention for humanity? <laughs> you know, and I, you know, that is applicable to almost everything we do. Bitcoin is a classic network effect, positive feedback loop. The more people who use Bitcoin, the more valuable Bitcoin is for everyone who uses it, and the higher the incentive for the next user to start using the technology. Bitcoin shares this network effect property with the telephone system, the web, and any internet service like eBay, Facebook, PayPal, etc. In fact, Bitcoin is a four-sided network effect. There are four constituencies that participate in expanding the value of Bitcoin as a consequence of their own self-interested participation. Those constituencies are consumers who pay with Bitcoin, merchants who accept Bitcoin, miners who run the computers that process and validate all the transactions and enable a distributed trust network to exist, and developers and entrepreneurs who are building new products and services with and on top of Bitcoin. All four sides of the network effect are playing a valuable part in expanding the value of the overall system. Moreover, Bitcoin generally can be a powerful force to bring a much larger number of people around the world into the modern economic system. It is because of this Bitcoin is a global payment system anyone can use from anywhere at any time can be a powerful catalyst to extend the benefits of the modern economic system to virtually everyone on the planet all at once.
So for a moment, forget everything you think you know about Bitcoin. Forget everything you've heard about blockchain, and let's start from basics. In 2011, I heard about Bitcoin for the first time. And my reaction was exactly the same as the reaction of everybody else who heard about Bitcoin the first time, including its founder. And that reaction was, ha! Nerd money. That's probably just for gambling. Six months later, I heard about Bitcoin again. And this time, I read the white paper that launched this system. And my background in computer science and distributed systems allowed me to see behind the illusion of what I thought Bitcoin was, and it blew my mind. In my life, I have now had six occasions in which I have become absolutely obsessed with a system of technology to the point of forgetting to eat, forgetting to sleep, and consuming as much knowledge as I possibly can. My first computer, when I was ten years old, my first programming language experience, my first modem, my first access to the web, the first time I used the web browser, the first time I downloaded and installed the Linux operating system, and then Bitcoin. When I discovered it, I spent four months consuming as much as I could, except food. I lost 26 pounds on the highly inadvisable diet of obsession. I have not emerged from that, because I keep finding new layers of depth to understand this. And the reason it's so fascinating is because it isn't what it appears to be at first glance. Bitcoin isn't money. The blockchain isn't a system of currency. It is a platform of trust. It's not a company. It's not a product. It's not a service you sign up for. It's not a currency. Currency is just the first application. It is the concept of decentralization applied to the human communication of value. Because what is money? NQ told us it's an illusion. It's imaginary. And the reason we don't grasp that is because it's so deeply embedded in our civilization. Money is one of the oldest technologies that humanity has. It precedes writing. How do we know that? The very first samples of writing we have are spreadsheets. <laughs> they are tallies and ledgers of debts owed, and money pre-existed that writing. You might even speculate that money had an oral tradition until it needed to invent a written tradition, so writing was created for it. 
In the history of money that now spans tens of thousands of years, there have been maybe five major changes. From pure barter exchange to the introduction of the first abstraction of value, shells, feathers, beads, nuts, stones, and then precious metals, and then paper money, and then plastic money, and now network money. Bitcoin introduces a platform on which you can run currency as an application on a network without any central points of control, a system completely decentralized like the internet itself. It is not money for the internet, but the internet of money. And what is money? Money is a language. Money is a linguistic abstraction. Money is a language that we use to communicate value to each other. Money simply allows us to express value, and that value may have economic consequences, but it also has other consequences. We use money to express and create social bonds and relationships and associations and to create organization. Bitcoin is the first system of money that is not controlled by any entity, that is completely decentralized. And what that does is it introduces the very same things that the internet brought to communication. If money is speech, if money is a language, and you disconnect it from all other media, and you make it pure speech, pure content, an internet content type, a protocol designation, money over IP, it completely separates it from all of these previous notions of nations, sovereign issuers, institutions that control. And so we go from institution-based money to network-based money. And of course, everyone will welcome this with open arms. Not a chance. What do you think they said the first time someone was presented with a gold depository certificate instead of a gold coin? They said, that's not money. Go away. What do you think happened in 1950, the first time someone showed up at a motel and presented their diner's club membership card and said, I'll pay with this piece of paper? That's not money. Go away. And now we're on the verge of a new transformation of money. We're on the verge of creating the first completely global, completely borderless, completely decentralized, and completely open form of money. 
one where you can build applications because this money is programmable. And you don't need to ask anyone's permission to launch an application any more than you need to ask permission to launch an application on the internet. And the only requirement to have a successful application on the internet of money is two interested participants. That is your market segment, and you have an application. And a million applications will flourish. When you push innovation to the edges of the network, when you remove the requirement for permission, what happens? Exponential explosion in innovation. The applications that could not be built on the old systems of money because they required permission, because they required a significantly large market segment, because they required adoption by many in order to be available at all. Now, none of those requirements exist. Anyone in the world can download an application or use even a feature phone with text messaging and immediately acquire the same powers that institutions of banking have today. And when I say anyone, that's only scratching the surface. It is highly likely that children born today will never get a driving license, because they'll have self-driving cars, but they will also never use paper money. Because by the time they get to an age where they really start using money, there is no paper money. It will seem as anachronistic as a fax machine or horse and buggy seems to us. Exponential innovation on a global basis, giving access to the other six billion. They have enormous need, and this system offers them a solution. It's not ready yet. It's nascent, it's complex, it's impossible to use for most people. In 1989, I sent my first email. In order to do so, I had to compile a version of the Unix mail program using a C compiler and Unix command line skills. I had to set it up on the command line, type out my email, and that email was transmitted across the great internet in an astonishing three days. Exactly 20 years later, my mother replicated that experience with a swipe. Bitcoin today and all of the currencies that are built on that recipe are just at the same level that the internet was in 1991. Only now, we have the internet. And so the rate of exponential growth has already started. The innovation is growing at an astonishing rate. I spend every single day, full-time, trying to keep up with Bitcoin. Just one currency, and it's almost impossible. Do not underestimate this. Do not listen to the people who tell you that Bitcoin is just for pornographers, terrorists, drug dealers, and gamblers. Remember that they said the exact same thing about the internet. 
And when you give it to two or three billion people, they're not interested in those things. They're interested in sharing cat videos. <laughs> and now we have an internet of a billion cat videos. When you take digital currency mainstream and give it to the four billion people who have been isolated from international finance and commerce, and you give them the opportunity to control their money against despotic governments and corrupt banks that are stealing from them, you give them the opportunity to control their future, you give them the opportunity to transact with everyone in the world, to own title on their own property in a fully transferable digital token that is recognized everywhere, control over finance that cannot be seized, frozen or censored, they will buy food, health care, sanitation, education, shelter, because that's what we do. And they will not be denied this technology. Do not underestimate where this is going. The Internet of Money was launched on January 3, 2009. It's coming. It's coming faster than you can imagine. It's deeper than you can fathom. It's more sophisticated than you can immediately understand. It takes years of study just to see all of the implications. And it is a gift to the entire world, a technology that represents the sixth greatest innovation in the technology of money, the most ancient technology of our civilization. Thank you. For the first time in the history of the world, we have a 21st century money that's natively digital, customizable and programmable and global. Possibilities are endless, and it truly shows why Bitcoin matters. So I want to thank a few people, Mark Andreessen, Doug Sandlin, Safadine Amus, Dan Tapiro, Andreas M. Antonopoulos. Thank you so much for providing the sources to our material today in the main topic. And um, gosh, man, why Bitcoin matters is something that I think we'll always grapple with every couple of years. It truly is exceptional and one of those never ending questions. Let's get on to the end of the show.
gentlemen, another thriller crypto is done. Thank you so much for listening. I really, 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 really appreciate you. Woo. No, I just want to thank you so much for listening. It's really appreciative. I know we got some new listeners this week. Uh, welcome aboard. Nice to see you. Hope you stick around. If you want to check out more of our podcasts that we do here on this crazy thriller crypto podcast thing, who knows? You go over to thrillerx.com, thrillerx.com, thrillerx.com. That's right, thrillerx.com. Buy Bitcoin and save the entire world. This is the end of the Everything Carr said likely won't come true. It is up to you.